This is the CHGO Cubs podcast presented by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. Hello, everyone, and good evening. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Thursday, May 5th, for our recap of the two-game set with the Chicago White Sox. And Brendan, it was, uh, I, I think, on <laughs> Tuesday, Yeah. the weather, that might have been the worst, other than like snow, which we've seen them play in a couple times, like I can't really recall a worse game that I've seen them not try to play in, but like actually play through. I, I mean, what, that Braves game a couple years ago with Javi coming back? Right. Yeah, that's probably the one that comes to mind. I mean, brutal yeah. conditions. They even let them go out there and play like that is unbelievable, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. and uh, also brutal, the results oh, yeah. on oh, the field. Yeah, you don't say, Corey. How about that for a seamless transition? Oh, um, yeah, man. Yeah. God, <laughs> this is uh, it's not going well. No. Yeah. Well, the Cubs drop both of these games to the White Sox. And, you know, Brendan, like, I I would almost rather they get blown out every night than the way they're losing games. Does that make sense? No. It, because, it, again, <laughs> in this series, uh, we'll run through it quickly, um, but you have a 3-1 loss and a 4-3 loss. Right. So you had a couple of those Brewers games that were blowouts, right? We talked about that, but a lot of the losses now for the entire season are, you know, close ish, right? Where at the very least, at some point in the game, like the Cubs have the tying run at the plate or they're mounting a rally where they could bring the tying run across or to the plate. Like this, this particular way of losing games is exceptionally annoying. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, it's it's I I have to remind myself and constantly reset my expectations, right? Like, we we all knew going into this year, ninety nine percent likely, you know, not going to win, right? And then you see it play out like that is it's frustrating. But then again, you see like Nico do well. Um, you know, you see the bullpen continue to do well. Some guys that are going to be here for the long term. It's that it's like it's like a delicate balance but at the same time yeah. then you see you know some at best that don't look good you see some pitches being taken in the strike zone it's like oh like what are you guys doing it's it's a it's a weird it's a weird mix i know it's hard to find the right tone to talk about this team especially since it is early and now you're six games under but some guys are performing well and those are the guys you want to perform well like I don't even I don't know Corey it's 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 a weird conflicting state of mind knowing that some guys are doing well and that's great but the overall bulk performance and the win-loss record sucks it's it's weird yeah well I think that's the that's the tricky part where it's like we did come into this season with measured expectations and kind of expecting it to be an evaluation year, right? To try to just find some answers, see what you have in guys, and move along in this, whatever we're calling this still, the retool, whatever word you want to use, right? But like, it's still none of, we don't like watching the Cubs lose, right? And like, I think even if you weren't expecting them to be good this year, 
we were all kind of hoping that like at least early it would be fun and interesting, right? And like, man, we just turned the corner to May. They're six games under. They're already seven back in the division of the Brewers. Nice. Um, I, I think I, I just saw a tweet, I think, from Bleacher Nation that they are they have the sixth worst record in baseball now, like yeah, all of a sudden. Very nice. And so it's it is a it's a weird thing to balance where you know all of that in the back of your head. And like I, I know you and I are watching the game tonight uh, on Wednesday night thinking, okay, cool, like Nico, this is great. Like Patrick Wisdom is still doing some stuff. Like but but there it's not fun to lose. And it's like balancing that, like, well, we kind of expected it. Like we knew this was possible, but yeah, but I'm still like pissed off every <laughs> night, you know? I mean, I don't know what to tell you, Corey, because I have the same problem. So I can't give you any type of like suggestion or advice on that. Like when this team loses, I get mad. I'm mad right now. I'm a little disappointed. I'm more disappointed than, than, than mad. I guess when I, when I think about this team right now and their current state, the, the one name that comes to mind is like Frank. Like for some reason, I'm just like very disappointed <laughs> In, in Frank's overall value. Like, I, I expected it to be a little bit more interesting, and ma- maybe it will, right? But, like, we are going now into the second week of May. The numbers are terrible. He's a worse OPS and yeah. a struggling Nick Madrigal, Corey. Um, so I think about that. And then the second name that comes to mind, and it just kills me watching him, is, is Kyle and those leaky sinkers and change-ups. Mm-hmm. And the question I have, and we're going to get into this in more detail, but just like setting the stage, the question I have is how, like how, like that, this, it doesn't, those types of performances don't make sense to me. Um, well, everybody's tuning into this podcast to hear you explain it. So you better figure it out in the next like 20 well, minutes. That's the, that's, <laughs> that's the hard thing to reconcile, Corey, because yeah. ugh, like the, I don't know. I mean, do you want to rip into it now, or do you want to pre- or recap these two games? Well, uh, yeah, let's just set the table a little bit. Okay, and, and then I mean, we'll obviously rip into gonna, Only two games, so yeah. obviously we're going to talk about what we saw in these two games. And uh, but we can talk about Kyle for a good amount here. But yeah, let's do it. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I I don't know, guys. It's it's frustrating. I I I don't know how you know. And, and it's weird. Like you look on social media too, and there's there's such a. a dichotomy of reactions right for watching this team there are a lot of people who still get kind of like viscerally angry every night like it doesn't matter what the expectations were coming in and there are a lot of people who when they see people getting viscerally angry they're like well what did you expect you know and I you know I guess I just fall somewhere in the middle where like I'm not really surprised that it's been a a a struggle the way that it has at least to this point but yeah, like watching them lose a couple one-run games, a two-run game to a White Sox team that's like undoubtedly a better roster than them. I'm still like just sitting there like really pissed off. I, like I can't help it, you know. Um, but yeah, let's look at these two games just to set the table. So Drew Smiley on the bereavement list. So Scott Efros uh, thrown in there on Tuesday to get the uh, opening start. He went an inning and a third, two hits, two unearned runs, no walks, no strikeouts. So again, another solid effort from Efros, especially in a position that he is not familiar with. And uh, at least I, I think based on how, you know, the we all learned of it, not something he was expecting to do uh, when he woke up on Tuesday morning. Uh, Keegan Thompson relieved him three and two thirds, four hits, 
one earned run. He does give up a solo home run, but that was it. His ERA still sits at 0.89 on the season, so still very good stuff from Keegan Thompson. Michael Rucker followed in that game with two uh, shutout innings and a strikeout. Uh, Michael Givens and Chris Martin both with scoreless frames. Afterward, the Cubs getting their lone run in this game on a Nico Horner double. We will talk more about him. And then in the finale on Wednesday night, uh, it was five and two-thirds from Kyle Hendricks, seven hits, four earned, one walk, two strikeouts, two home runs um, in a four to three loss to the White Sox. Rowan Wick, uh, one and a third scoreless with a strikeout in this one. Michael Givens, a scoreless inning, did give up two hits and a walk, though, had to pitch himself out of some real trouble. And David Robertson, uh, as we've talked about kind of repeatedly, just looks unbelievable. Another clean inning with two strikeouts. He still has not given up a run on this season. The Cubs do strike out 10 times against Lucas Giolito. Uh, who did give up three runs, but settled in very nicely and got himself a ton of strikeouts. Cubs strike out 12 times in this game total. Uh, The runs in this one coming on two home runs, one from Nico Horner, his second of the year, and Patrick Wisdom, his fifth of the year. So that is the the lay of the land in a quick series. And, And Brendan, I know what you're most disappointed about is that the it's not really a cup anymore, but the the Crosstown Trophy will not be oh, heading no. back to the north side. I know I that know. it'll keep you up at night. Yeah, you know, this is uh, this is what I live for, Corey. I tune in every year just for that Crosstown Cup. Yeah, uh, I know you have a replica. On I your have mantle. two, actually, you know. Of the cup and now the new trophy. Yeah. I mean, just that's yeah. what I do. Every day I wake up and I see those trophies, it makes me happy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, I... So... I mean, I guess, yeah, let's just talk about Kyle Hendricks. Let's just get into it. I, you know, we we went into great detail, I think, on the last podcast that you and I did, um, you know, kind of like trying to figure out what's going on and, and look at look at things. Kyle, uh, again, with the five and two-thirds on Wednesday night, falls to one and three on the season of 5.64 ERA. And, you know, again, like I, I, I think going back to our conversation the last time, like you pointed out a lot of stuff that you're looking at, some of the stuff, some of the, the things that are working, not working. We talked about his inconsistencies and, you know, obviously how he's got little margin for error when his mechanics and everything aren't tight. But, you know, the end result is still the same, Brendan. Like he's just not getting it done at the level that he expects and, and this team needs him to be doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I, I, I honestly, <laughs> I'm, I'm at a little bit of a loss. I think the the first idea that comes to mind is just the the new baseballs might be having an effect. To explain such a drastic change in command, where well, so now hold on, can I let me interrupt you just to ask you. It, because the, my my first thought on that is he he's giving up some home runs. Yeah. I mean, he gave up two home runs, and one of the things with these balls no, is that no, maybe no, they're no, not no, traveling no, no, as much. Is yeah. that what you mean? Well, or? Well, it's 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 no. What I mean is when you listen to like players like like Chris Bassett for uh, the Mets saying there's no consistency in the balls, and some guys are having problems commanding their pitches as a result. The first name that comes to mind is, is of course, going to be Kyle because, you know, two seasons ago in that COVID-shortened season, he had a walk per nine under one batter per game, Corey. It's almost four right now. 
And then it's hard not to realize when he's given up these runs that a bulk of them are thrown on completely misfired pitches. So today, for example, uh, the first Jose Abreu home run was a changeup right down the middle. He just missed his location. Now, last year, there were some instances with that changeup where it was getting hit lower in the zone on pitches he was locating. So my thinking was last year that the sequencing just wasn't optimal, and the command was still maybe not as sharp for Kyle last year, but sharp enough to get by. This year in the early going, the command is just clearly not there. That sinker command down in a way, down in a way where he wants to throw is is not there. Then he gave up another home run on a, on a four-seam fastball right over the middle of the plate, missed his spot again. And the other bases he did give up, granted, they were located well. And that's going to happen, but they were singles. The extra bases he gave up tonight were pitches over the heart of the plate, all of them. So now the question I have is, will that continue? And will that continue due to age? Will that continue due to these baseballs that now Kyle has to adapt to? Someone needs to ask, you know, these pitchers and and specifically, hopefully someone asks Kyle, like, hey, like, what is going on with these baseballs? Does that have an effect? Because it's hard to explain such a drastic change of command otherwise. I I I don't I don't get that. Well so let me let me offer what I assume would be the pushback on what you're saying, right? I think everybody that's listened to us for any amount of time know that we believe in Kyle and like expect him to work on things and make adjustments. But isn't the pushback to what you're saying there with the balls like, well, other people are managing to have good numbers, no, right? No, like everyone's different, Corey. Like that to say, oh, everyone else is throwing, you know, fines. Some pitchers, are, their walk rates are drastically different. In some pitchers, they don't have they have no effect. It depends on what you get by. With Kyle, that's fair. No, I again, I don't disagree. I'm just trying to ask the questions that I think people would raise. There's a degree of uncertainty too with like what what's what's going on um, with with all of this, right? Like one. It is early May, so you don't know if this is just like a random thing going on with the short and spring training until you have a new baseball that's that's being used. So it's it's hard to get an idea of, of what actually is going on. And then you look at someone with Kyle's repertoire, and he is someone who does not rely on just specific stuff. His changeup from a stuff plus perspective, Corey, does not rate well. It, it never has. But for some reason, his changeup mm-hmm. has been one of the most effective pitches in the league. So how does that make sense? You can't. Pr- you, you have problems predicting changeup value. It's always been the case, as I said last episode. So you're dealing with someone who relies exhaustively on a good changeup. Now you throw in a new baseball into the mix, uh, a shortened spring training, it's hard to figure out what's causing all of this. And from a mechanical perspective, you look at something like the release point data or the vertical attack angle, there's such a little deviation from years past. So how can I explain this? Like, how can anyone explain this, Corey? That's my point. So I don't know. I get, I just, I, I don't know. Like I can pull up some of the numbers. I can read your release points up here. I can read like this, <laughs> like the, the spin uh, efficiency, like everything is within range. So what's, what is going on? You know what I'm trying to say? 
Yeah, I don't think anybody wants you to read spin efficiency you want me numbers to? I mean, on I'll pull them up to prove my point. <laughs> that's like NPR for the Chicago Cubs. Um, yeah, man, like, I, I don't know. It, it's it's tough because I think what it, it ultimately comes down to is that Kyle's one of those guys where, like, he, he has such little room for error because of the velo and the stuff, and it, it's it's always been a very precise sort of methodology that he's been able to put together to get the results that he has. And when things change, you know, is it the ball? Is it the weather? I mean, I don't know, right? I know that a lot of that sounds like excuses, but what I think it ultimately comes down to is that he just can't afford to not have everything. And that means the ball, his mechanics, his posture, his release point, everything, right? It has to be precise. And when it's not, you see different results as we've seen in the past. Um, Ultimately, though, like whatever the answer is, like this is not getting it done. So, um, you know, like I said, like I I don't think that you're trying to make excuses for him, but ultimately like people watching this team and and who are fans of this team like they need to see results like they're not going to care about how he's being disproportionately affected by the ball if that's what it is you know what I'm saying like and you look at it's it is jarring though like you look at his career dating back to uh, when he debuted with the Cubs in 2014 he has not had a walk per nine rate higher than 2.58 in 2017 uh, it is 4.01 at the, excuse me, 3.56 at the moment yeah. uh, after Wednesday's start. That's a pretty stark difference and jump. Um, and that's to go along with a 6.82K per nine, which uh, is a little higher than it was in 2021, but would also be markedly his lowest since his debut season in 2014. So whatever the reason is, and I mean, I assume, you know, when our guy Ryan Herrera talks to Kyle or when Kyle talks to the media, you know, we're going to hear a lot of the same. Like he just, he wasn't consistent. Ball was leaking over the plate. A lot of the stuff that you point out, Brendan, but like, yeah, ultimately it is uh, not working. 5.6 ERA, 5.5 FIP. So, you know, those numbers kind of right in line with the results that you're seeing. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I think, to your point, you can't make excuses. That's that's totally fair. It's 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 less of an excuse than trying to figure out what you can expect going forward, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that that's where I'm coming from. Now, if the ball is in to say that this is solely due to the ball is also unfair. So I don't want to insinuate that as well. It's just throwing the idea out there because I don't see anything in the data. Right, and so that's that's a tricky aspect to this. Where in years past, you can point to, you know, for example, like Arietta from last year. The velo is down. He didn't make a change in any sequencing. He was throwing exclusively sinkers down in the zone, and his stuff deteriorated. Everything deteriorated with with Jake Arietta. His release point was drastically different because he couldn't throw crossfire. So with Jake, you can pinpoint exactly what went wrong. And you can do that with other pitchers as well, and that correlates to age and it correlates to dec- uh, to a decrease in stuff that you can measure. 
And with Kyle, you know, there's nothing popping out. So it's hard to go in and look at these numbers and watching these games and you're not seeing anything that's obvious yet for some reason at least here early on in 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 the first what is this five starts now six starts it just is not working there's too many leaky pitches and yeah i mean what it what it boils down to is I, i think what you're saying is there's not a clear answer in the data from what we've looked at before and the result that you're seeing whatever is bringing it about right is a guy who doesn't throw hard, who doesn't have like the nastiest stuff in in that, you know, in the way that that's typically described and who's been inconsistent and you're yeah, seeing but, the results even, of that. Even, it's leading to more walks, yeah. more home runs and that's not really surprising. But even then though, it's still like uh, it, it it's it can be a little misleading like when we not we, when the narrative with Kyle is, well, his stuff sucks because stuff, you know, it's going to be a little bit arbitrarily defined, but people think of stuff as high velo, great separation from your fastball, good movement, all that, which is all absolutely true. But then there's this uncertainty. There's this like dark matter type deal with some of these pitchers. And with Kyle, he's one of them. And what we do know with Kyle is that he has impressive seam-shifted awake. He has a command plus score that's typically in the top five of all the league. His tunneling is also among the best in the league. But those specific features are hard to use in predictive models because they're they're not predicting value of certain pitches. But there's going to be certain contexts, I imagine, that do make those valuable. And that's why teams hire all these data scientists, Corey, to figure it out, to try to determine which type of you know mutations on these variables will then reveal what's kind of missing to improve the accuracy of, of predicting value for these pitchers. And with Kyle, you know, we know the stuff compared to like, you know, like Giolito today. It's not there, but we also know the consistency that he's been throwing change-ups and sinkers for so many years is exceptionally high. So to see that all of a sudden just not be there, um, you know, to me, it just it seems like it's more likely that there's a different feel in the baseball. That's just my thinking, right? And I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying I'm wrong. But to have such an extreme as what we're seeing right now, I think you have to merge that with another extreme, and the other extreme is a new baseball. Uh, but to your point, like, what does he have to do differently? Well, if this is how it's going to be, then you know, changing your fre- frequency of the pitches, maybe throwing more curveballs like we've been seeing with Kyle over the f- past few years. Maybe he does have to develop another pitch. He does not have a hard-breaking pitch the other way. This doesn't have it. Maybe that's going to be necessary for Kyle as he starts to age here. Uh, I don't know. That's just kind of where my thinking's at. Yeah, I, look, I mean, I think it's fair. If there were a precise answer, I think it would be more obvious and we'd be able to dial into it because ultimately this is someone who had really significant levels of success in this league for like a seven-year period. And so that clearly was not some sort of fluke. Um at the same time, though, as we said, like 
end of the day, like this isn't cutting it. So it may not be easy to figure out. It may be complicated, but this is not going to cut it. Um, and I, you know, I know that Kyle feels the same way. Like he's, I can't imagine how frustrated he is to have an ERA at, you know, 5.6 at the moment. That's just not the standard that he holds himself to and not something that he's going to be happy about. Yeah. So, I mean, like, where do you go from here with Kyle? Like, uh, I, I think if if there's if you feel concerned, I guess that's like a fair you know feeling to have. Um, you know, it is such an extreme observation, and with that comes a huge degree of uncertainty. So for me, it's like, well, I'm not like I'm I'm not concerned in that I think things are going to get worse or stay as bad. Um, I also don't think you can say with confidence that things are going to just magically change instantly. Uh, so where does that make me fall? Where does that make it like other people fall? It's a huge unknown. And I think because of that unknown, it's so different from what you've expected from Kyle for years past. That that in and of itself is concerning. Does that make sense? Like sure. it's not the stuff that's deteriorating and that's going to be a concern because now there's an increased likelihood of him being bad. I don't think there's the likelihood of anything. I don't think anything, I don't think you can predict Kyle at all right now based on what we're seeing. And so until we see more starts and maybe some of the, you know, data parses out, we can, you know, put stuff together um, and you have a better idea. I, I honestly don't know what to think. And that's just a reality of the situation. I think you have to like acknowledge that this is a weird thing going on and to be confident about one way or the other in one direction, him being bad or being good. It's not, to have an opinion like that is just not logical. Honestly, that's, that's kind of where I stand right now. Okay, break here from our sponsor, PointsBet. The best way to support CHGO is to download the PointsBet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. If you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO locker. If you have any questions, email pointsbet at allchgo.com, and we will help you out. Remember, that's PointsBet. Remember, PointsBet is your home for live in-game betting. They even have a new exclusive feature, live NBA same-game parlay. For the first time ever, build a perfect live same-game parlay only with PointsBet. Combine your favorite bets anytime during the game. And now online sign-up is available in Illinois. You can actually download the PointsBet app right now and register from your account from start to finish, all from your phone. Signing up with the fastest sports book is now easier than ever, so you can start living your bet life in seconds. Use code CHGO to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. So what are you waiting for once the game starts? Don't just bet. Live your bet life with points bet. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And don't forget to support everything going on at CHGO podcasts and live shows on every team, every day, post-game shows, and premium written content for members at allchgo.com. You get a free shirt and access to the members-only Discord when you sign up to become a member, again, at allchgo.com. So, Brendan, like, where do we go now? Um, there, there's definitely some positives that I want to talk about, but we, we might, like, just something in, in a general sense. Like, I, I do want to ask you what you're seeing um, from the way that Seiya Suzuki is being attacked. Um, he's kind of in, 
you know, I guess the first funk of his career, his OPS down to 840. Um, I, we, we still see a lot of the traits that we saw in the beginning. And I think, you know, this is something we expected, right? Um, he was not going to put up a 1500 OPS for the entire season. And at some point pitchers were going to try something different. But I, I, I do wonder if like something we see from him is perhaps something with the team uh, as a whole. And I, I, you know, just kind of want your thoughts on this. I was talking to friend of the podcast, Jeff Everson, and he, you know, sort of noted some of these team statistics, which is the Cubs don't chase a lot, which we certainly have seen and certainly is something characteristic of Seiya himself. Uh, But they also rank near the bottom of the league in terms of swinging at pitches in the zone. And we've seen the contact, you know, it, it feels like it's changed, at least just from a visual perspective. Like earlier in the year, they were not striking out very much, uh, making some contact, and sometimes it would work, sometimes it would, you know, they were playing the Babbitt game, right? And now, you know, these last two games against the White Sox, very good pitching from the White Sox, but uh, 12 strikeouts in each of these games. And, you know, I, like I think about that Ian Happ plate appearance late in the game on Wednesday night where he, in a big spot, takes strike three, a very, like, hittable pitch, right? And that'll happen. But, I like, do you wonder if, like, Saya maybe, and especially with, with if pitchers are changing the way they're attacking him, and, and some of these guys as a whole, obviously they're not all the same hitter, right? We can't categorize them all together. But are they being too patient like what? What are what are we seeing from this offense? Do you think it's still hard to say because it's so it's so early with with Seiya, You know, he's still adapting to the league, and the league is still adapting to him. So so to think that the league all of a sudden caught on to this trick to get Seiya out this early, I I would be surprised if that's the case. I think a lot of it is also due to the type of pitchers he's been facing. So the type of pitchers he's been facing recently, um, you know, they have heavy breaking stuff. So if you look at the type of pitches Seiya has seen per game, he has seen basically no off speed for the past week. That I mean, that's crazy. He's been mostly seeing breaking pitches and, and fastballs. Whereas through the early part of April, all the way through almost like the third week of April, he he saw quite a bit of off-speed pitches. Uh, that includes like change-ups, um, you know, splitters of of that variety. So Isaiah might just be he's facing pitchers that are good. He's facing pitchers with heavy breaking stuff, and you know, kind of just a, a random type occurrence. I see it though too, right? You see it. You see the game today. Um, you know, it was a hit and run, but Saya reached out on top of the zone, popped it up later in the game with Nick Magical trying to steal. Again, hit and run probably, but you see some swings that might look a little uncharacteristic, or you see some pitches being taken. They're like, huh, like, what are you looking at there? So you might be a little bit fooled. But this is Major League Baseball. It's early, and Saya is still seeing guys for the first time, and He's seen some tough pitchers, man. I mean, Milwaukee pitching staff is no joke. Giolito, he's he's no joke. And a lot of those guys have disgusting breaking pitches. So I think that's a big part of it. And you still have to wait and see until you get more games and more at-bats to figure out 
that there's an obvious change in approach. I we we looked at this, maybe not discussed on air, but I know you and I talked about this maybe last week. If there's anything different, and with Seiya, you know, he's seen a steady diet of high fastballs up in his zone ever since he debuted. So the change is not going to be due to any type of fastball location. And as I just talked about right now, it's not being uh, influenced by a. a an obvious change in secondary pitch types. I think the change is just in the type of pitchers he's been facing, and maybe that's the thing. Maybe Scott Starr taking notice of this. Hey, you know what? He does not see hard-breaking stuff that well, and maybe that is ultimately what the first trick these pitchers will try to get Seiya out of his zone, and that might be what we expect going forward. But uh, I still think it's early to be to be perfectly fair, and I I like his overall approach still even though the results are not there and i i you know i'm not really concerned about him Corey. oh no i'm not concerned about him at all i i just think that as people see him in his first you know you can call it a funk if you want you know just bringing his numbers down to reality from where they were at the beginning of the year you know they're going to wonder what's going on and you know what what might be might be happening i like it's it is tough because at the end of the day, like yeah, it's early, but like I, I think you know, looking at the offense as a whole, like you have some guys who just are not performing, so it is going to be a little difficult to like run a diagnostic on this offense when part of the answer is like you know on uh, Wednesday night you had two guys in the lineup with sub five seventy OPSs, right? Like that's terrible. So that's going to affect things, right? Like, it doesn't matter what the approach is. Like, they're just not performing. Like, anecdotally, though, like, it does, like, a little bit lately feel like they maybe are being, like, a little too passive at times and need to, like, like, I, I feel like in the beginning of the year and the way that I would scout this team, right, if I was putting are together a game now? plan against... Yes. Um, well, one of us on this podcast has actual, you know, major league front office scouting experience. Is it you? Do you want me to quit this podcast right now on air? <laughs> <laughs> one of us was almost a star shortstop yeah. until they blew out their knee. Twice. One of us yeah. has major league front okay, office experience. Totally. It's fine. Okay. Anyway. Continue your points. Uh, the two of us fighting aside, um, like if I were attacking this team, I would think that they have a a good ability to lay off pitches out of the zone. And so I'm not going to test that. What I am going to test is they make a lot of contact, but a lot of it isn't great. They're not going to slug you to death, even if they're making a ton of contact. So I'm going to pitch aggressively and dare the Cubs to hit the ball. And we've, you know, we've seen they, they're, they must still lead the league in double plays. If not, they're very close, right? And so my thing would be there's a couple guys in this lineup on a given night who have real legitimate pop you have to be careful with, and you know who those guys are, and you know where those pitches can't be. But otherwise, go ahead and put the ball in play, Nick Madrigal, right? Frank Schwindel right now, go ahead, man. Like, And he's striking out at a higher rate than he would like. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it, it It's early, and the performances are all over the place, so it's hard to like put this together— Fully, but if I were a pitcher, 
that would be how I would attack this team. I would say they they can be patient. They've shown that, and I don't want to put them on base, but it's not a lineup full of guys where I'm terrified they're going to hit the ball all over the yard and out of it, so I'm going to attack them. And if they're going to try to be patient and coax those walks and stuff, you're going to start seeing a ton of looking strikeouts like we did in these two games with the, with the White Sox. There was a ton of strikeouts, you know, where the Cubs were just standing there. Yeah. So that's that to me feels like what we're seeing and it it makes sense. Yeah, I, I mean I see I see your point. It's to to average it out and say okay, like all these pitchers are now throwing and attacking them more. Like the zone rates in the first 2 weeks versus, you know, the the subsequent two and a, whatever we are the subsequent two and a half weeks it's exactly the same 41 percent. so the amount of pitchers are seen in the zone has not changed now i'm looking just at all the pitchers they faced recently within the first what is this uh da, da, da. within the first 10 games they're facing pitchers with slower fastballs so even looking at like say suzuki's uh pitch types he's seen over the last week and a half he's faced uh, an average velocity for a pitcher of like over 94. And then in the first few weeks, it was just around 92. So when you average this out, you know, this means that you're getting some pitchers who just don't throw that fast. And a lot of those guys, not surprisingly, because you don't throw that fast, they may have a, a, a very diverse repertoire of pitches and he got more change-ups and he got more splitters and he got more types of uh, off-speed pitches. And now within the last week and a half, you're seeing harder throwers. And that aligns, I think, with what I've seen visually. I don't think it's a scouting report change. I think this team is susceptible to good pitchers. I think this team is susceptible to hard-breaking stuff, as they've always been. And to your point, they don't hit the ball that far. Most of them make heavy contact, and the quality of the contact right now is not good. Um, I think that's what it is, Corey. I just don't think this offense is that great as currently constructed. Uh, That that ultimately, (laughs) yeah, we may be trying to shine up uh, a turd in a way, right? Well, when we're it, diagnosing this, it it may be that that's that that's the answer. I mean, remember, like, yeah, they make they they've shown an ability to make more contact at at times than teams we've watched in the past. But you know, at that point, yeah, like if you're pounding the ball on the ground and things like that, like that's not a good thing. Yeah, and maybe this, you know, as we kind of knew and expected, like there's some good things happening within the offense, but on the whole, they're just not that good. The, the the full offense is not that good. That's just kind of where it is. But even me saying that, like I don't like hearing those words from my mouth because it doesn't give credit to the performances that have been good, right? Ian Happ's been great. Uh, Seiya Suzuki, the, the bulk sum has been great. Nico has looked really good for the majority of the season. He's a WRC plus uh almost 10% better than the league, Corey. So like, yeah. I don't want to take those types of performances away and group them in with the rest of the team. But when we talk about the rest of the team, Frank Schwindel has been a monstrous disappointment for me this season. Yeah. Rafael Ortega, ditto. I mean, if I see Jason Hayward hit one more ground ball on the right side, I, I, may, I may pass out, Corey. Yeah. So that's where I think the numbers kind of get a little bit bogged down. And that's how this team is constructed. So ideally, those types of players, whether they improve themselves or they get replaced by other players in the future, that 
is what is going to have to change. That's just what it is, and we all knew that. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, I I just want to you know dig into some of that stuff and at least focus on you know some of the stuff that isn't going well. Um, you know, because as you and I talked about, like at, at some point, like we are going to in this last segment here highlight some of the things that are going well and continue to shine a light on those things because that ultimately is is what this year was most likely to be about, right? But at the same time, like they still can't win a series. They're now six games under, seven games back. Like it's not good on the whole. And we do have to touch on that as well, right? Yeah. Even if a lot of people were expecting it, right? Like it's, uh, we're, we're not going to come on here and pretend that that's yeah. not I happening. I mean, when you have even like, or, we're not, when you have Ortega, he has negative 0.2 war. VR, negative yeah. 0.2. Frank, negative 0.4. Hermosillo, neutral. Jan Gomes, neutral. I mean, that's a huge... Madrigal's got to be sub too, right? Uh, Madrigal's 0.0. He's neutral, right? So I, I just listed off six guys there that make up almost half your positional group, dude. So are you saying that having <laughs> uh, half of your position player group be replacement level or worse is not a good thing. It's not good, Corey. It's not good. But it's lopsided too. Now, I I just want to read these numbers off because, I mean, I see him right in front of me. Ian Happ, his Woba is almost 400. Very good. Nico Horner, over 320. Very good. Seiya, uh, 360. Very good. Wilson Contreras, almost 370. Very good. Wisdom, 325. Like, I'll take that. Well above league average. So it's very lopsided. You have extremes in both directions at this point. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, man. I, this is, this is a learning experience for Brendan and I as well. Uh, the timing of all of this tonight, like uh, this is, this is a brutal recording. (laughs) Well, so, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, that's you, you, that's what we kind of started with. Like it, it, it is no matter how much we tell ourselves to focus on the good things happening, right? you still don't, we're still watching our favorite team lose every night in pretty frustrating fashion. And, uh, you know, so what I was going to say is that, like, you and I didn't start this podcast in, like, January of 2016 because the Cubs were good. That was when you and I met each other and six months after I stopped working in baseball for teams that were not the Cubs, right? But we've been fortunate enough that save for the second half of last year, you and I have not talked about bad baseball. And so we're, this is new for us as well, right? Like figuring out like, okay, like this makes us miserable, but what should we talk about so that people are listening and engaging? Uh, and it's, it is hard because yeah, like you and I don't like watching. Let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Uh, Hit me. So six games under, if I were to have told you that going into the second week of May, they'd be six games under, but Hap, Nico, Seiya, Wisdom, Wilson would all be well above league average, would you, would you have thought yourself to be happy at the time? Well, happy, no, but I would have been <laughs> unsurprised, okay. and I would have said, okay, cool, at least some things are going okay. well. And where yeah. are you right now? Now, are you, are you mostly aggravated? I'm trying to have that attitude. So you don't have it. Like (laughs) I do watch, I, I, you and I watch all these games, right? I go to a lot of these games and like the only, like the, the thing I want most in life is just to watch good Cubs baseball. 
right? And so no matter how much I try to spin zone it, it it's it's not going to work for me. Yeah. You know what it is for me? I, I just, I just, we, we have not even talked about like outside of Kyle, like the pitching this year. Like Steele has been disappointing in that you don't see the experimentation going on as we saw last year. Um, Miley's on the on the IL. Alice Elias not pitching. Alec Mills not pitching. Um, you know, kind of disappointing. And we're talking about Kyle being bad. Like we have not had exciting, interesting pitching performances outside of the bullpen. And like for for right. me, like I was looking forward the most to seeing okay. What is Alex like going to look like this year? Is he finally going to throw more cutters or changeups to left-handers as he was trending towards last season? Okay, what is Wade Miley going to do as a staple in this rotation? Is Alec Mills the guy with the sharp command as we saw last year? We have no answers to that. And then on top of that, we're talking about, okay, you know, if Steele's forcing fastball, is it good enough? Can he, can he throw more sinkers now that he can command it? No, he can't command those pitches right now, right? So that's, like, for, for me, I was looking forward to the most of watching some of the weird pitching trends, and I barely have gotten that. I, I, think that's yeah. why, I think that's why I'm kind of in this bad mood right now, especially when I'm watching Kyle get shelled, and he was like, on the back of my mind of potential concerns, you know, that's, so that's where I'm at. The conclusion that we're reaching is that watching and podcasting about the Cubs go pole to pole as the best team in major league baseball very good. and win the world series. A yeah, lot of fun. Yeah. Tons of yeah, fun. We should do that more often. Like super fun. Yeah. Um, watching them have one of the worst records in the league not no, as enjoyable. That's, I think that's uh, the, okay. the logical conclusion. We're breaking ground here I know. tonight. Look at us. At least we're figuring something. We don't know the answer to what's wrong with Kyle Hendricks, no. but we do know that the Cubs winning is good yeah. and them losing is bad. Yeah, hey. We have um, some answers tonight, though, at least. I do want to read this update because uh, we were talking about them from our guy Ryan Herrera, who, of course, covers yeah. the Cubs for CHGO. Wade Miley is supposed to begin a rehab assignment with Iowa on Thursday, and Alec Mills has begun throwing again, uh, but no firm date for him to resume his rehab assignment. So that is the update with those two guys that you previously mentioned. Of course, Al Zalai yeah. is still not in a place where uh, you know we're getting timetables or updates on him. Uh, second sponsor read from PointsBet. If you enjoy CSGO, one way to help us continue to grow is to download the PointsBet app and use code CSGO when you sign up. Not only are you going to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000, but if you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CSGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CSGO locker. If you have any questions, email PointsBet at allchgo.com, and we will help you out. And in case you missed it, online sign-up is available in Illinois. You can actually download the PointsBet app right now and register your account from start to finish all from your phone. You'll be signing up at the fastest sports book that's easier than ever, so you can start living your bet life in seconds. So what are you waiting for? Once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life with points. Bet. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. And again, 
Don't forget to continue supporting everything going on at CHGO podcasts and live shows on every team every day. I mentioned before, but the uh, CHGO team has added soccer to the coverage with the fire and the Red Stars postgame shows and premium written content for all members at allchgo.com. You get a free shirt and access to the members only discord when you become a member at allchgo.com. All right, Brendan, let's talk about a, a couple good things, right, um, that we're we're seeing, and and a lot of it is you know some of the stuff we've we've continued to highlight. So you know we've talked about David Robertson a lot and how good he's been. We've talked about Rowan Wick continuing to look really good, an inning and a third uh, with a strikeout, no walks, no hits, no runs in the game on Wednesday night against the White Sox. His ERA sitting at one point zero four, so that has been very nice given that he you know was working back from injuries and has had some velo. Uh, uh, issues at times in the past, so that's really nice to see. Um, the the two players that I think really stand out, though, yep. well, maybe three on the offense. Um, firstly, I want to give credit to David Ross uh, for throwing Alfonso Rivas in that leadoff spot and sticking him there, right? Rivas uh, 0 for 3 in the game on Wednesday with two strikeouts in the leadoff position and 0 for 3 on Tuesday with two strikeouts uh, in the leadoff position on Tuesday. He did work a walk in that game on Tuesday, which was 14 pitches. Incredibly impressive, uh, that walk from Alfonso Rivas in that game. But what I want to give him credit for is that we've talked so much about wanting some of these guys to get a real look, like consistent playing time, see what you have, just commit to it, right? And we've explained the reasons that we like Rivas. I mean, even with a a rough series here against the White Sox, we still saw really good defense from him over at first base. And he leaves the series with an OPS over 900. So like he was, he, he could be afforded a couple of bad games with how well he had sort of started since he came back up after the brief time he spent uh, getting sent down. But I, I, I want to credit Ross for, you know, just committing to it, right? And we'll see how much these lineups look similar going forward. It might depend on pitching, but like for these two games against the White Sox, we saw Rivas, Suzuki, Hap. Rivas, Suzuki, Hap. And I I like that, right? Like those are are three of your guys that have had success to different degrees, of course, uh, and in different samples since the beginning of the year. But like I, I like the idea of saying like, look, Frank is really struggling Rivas is the better defender. We've gone through all those reasons. He's 25, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. But I'm I'm happy with with David for at least for now committing to yeah. it, right? He's gonna play, he's gonna lead off. We're gonna see what we have there. Yeah, and uh Nico batted sixth today, and you got moving up from that. So yeah. um yeah, I, I know Ross's decisions have been kind of put on a, underneath a microscope. Um, this season, especially with Ortega, batting leadoff multiple games. Uh, Rivas was in Iowa for a bit there. That's also on Jed. So I, I, I get some of the frustration, um, but it's still early on, and to see Rivas get chances top of the order should be an encouraging sign. To see Nico get moved up should be an encouraging sign. Also, too, still being aware of the brutal matchups some of these hitters Face wisdom batted in the bottom 
part of the order. He hit a home run, but you're facing Giolito, who throws high fastballs. He's got heavy breaking stuff, and those are pitchers, Patrick, as well as other most hitters in the league, don't hit well. So he's able to use that and still put Patrick down and give other guys a chance as well. So he's not overreaching, is my point, and he's still giving guys chances and putting, I think, like the majority of, of these decisions, I, I truly believe are probably the right one, or at least there's enough gray area in there where it makes sense. And there's some decisions that, you know, are kind of head scratching, like the Hayworth stuff and, and whatnot. But overall, this is what you want to see. You want to see experimentation. You want to see Rivas get as many chances as possible and to start multiple games at leadoff. You can't ask for anything different, at least from the first base uh, position at this point. Yeah, so uh, want to read something from another friend of the podcast, Matt Clapp, who I think I bring up all the time, uh, at the blog finds yeah. on Twitter, a great follow. Yeah. Uh, tweeted this morning before Nico uh, went one for four with a home run in the game on Wednesday night uh, that he is sitting, he, he came into the game on Wednesday night sitting at 3.0 wins above replacement in just 134 games, which uh, amounted to 453 plate appearances. His career, as we've noted, has been kind of all over the place, starting with getting called up much earlier in that emergency situation uh, in 2019 than anyone really expected. Um, but Brendan, like we've, we've, we've seen it. We've talked about the defense and how good he looks at short. He made, uh, another, you know, really nice play in this series, uh, against the White Sox ranging to his right deep into that hole to make a play. And look like he, he may not be, uh, you know, in that kind of wild tier of, of some of those shortstops that we've seen, but three wins above replacement in less than a full season's worth of games, right? If you brought that out to a full season's worth of games, like the the body of work that he is putting together in his young career is that of someone who is a really valuable and consistent player. Yeah, and the way that the, the game is trending, like the league-wide weighted on base average going into Wednesday was 304, whereas last year was 311. In recent years, it's been even a little bit higher than that. So you look at someone like Nico, who has a lot of speed. He's in the 90th percentile for sprint speed. And his defense has been also in the 90th percentile. That contact approach and the ability to hit for high average without uh, being a liability in the infield defensively is perhaps more valuable. Uh, You have other hitters who may have a higher whiff rate, they have slugged in years past, but that difference in the baseball now is turning some of those extra base hits into not extra base hits, and all of a sudden those guys' value is down. So it makes someone with, let's say, a 315 weighted on base average above league average for the first time. And then you match that with a shortstop position, which is already weaker offensively than most other positions and now you have Nico who's pretty good defensively you know this is a starting shortstop if this continues this is not just a starting shortstop this is one of the better starting shortstops in all of baseball Corey so this is probably the most encouraging trend for me personally this this season is seeing Nico really come into his own and kind of fit 
with the rest of the league. And we'll see if this continues, and I hope it does, and there's a possibility it doesn't. But it's fun to watch, and I, 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 I do think he's outperforming most people's expectations. And to be quite honest, he's outperforming my own expectations for him. Uh, even seeing two home runs early on in the first five weeks here is, is awesome to see. Bucket list item for me that's come up is I want to be in the room with you when he hits a home oh, run. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lots of, uh, lots of fist pumping. I, I can only imagine. Um, yeah, it's, it's been impressive. And, you know, as we go through this season, um, that's, that's what it's about, right? And if, if you're able to confidently believe that he can man shortstop or, uh, you know, if it was second base, if stuff doesn't work there or whatever, but if his offense can play to go along with the glove and the arm that he has shown us, uh, at the various positions he's played, like that's a very valuable piece, how he fits in going forward is something Jed will have to figure out. Maybe that's determined by who's a free agent or what the trade market is, et cetera, et cetera. But if you can leave this season with Nico looking like the player that we've seen thus far and like putting together his like kind of full body of work as a major leaguer now, like that would be a W, right? That that would be a, a big win yeah. for this organization and for, you know, Jed Hoyer going forward. Um, yep, yep, yep. The, the want to, you know, again, continue, um, you brought him up, but like Patrick Wisdom, man, like he's, he's an interesting player. Um, and I remember like when I, I was talking with Luke and Cody after that first Rockies game, and that was kind of like right before he started hitting, I think he had an extra base hit like the next night that really seemed to like jumpstart him to where his numbers are now. Everyone was like freaking out about him. Like a lot of people on Cubs Twitter, like just straight up wanted him gone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, And I remember, like, one of the things we talked about was, you know, obviously, one, like, relax. It's been, like, two weeks. Um, But two, like, he's one of those guys who you really want to see if he can put together some level of consistency in terms of, like, the results we saw last year. Because, obviously, with his age, he's not going to be, like, your everyday starter at third base for, like, years to come, I don't think. But the profile that he has is really, really valuable on a on a good team as a depth guy. Yeah. Spot starting, coming off the bench, whatever it is, right? Like, but someone with that power that he continues to show in game, right? We know he's got the raw power, but he's demonstrating pretty repeatedly that it translates to the game. He's got the ability to hit jacks, right? Like we know that. He had another one on Wednesday night great defense. He can move around the field. He's got a great arm. He, he routinely makes those plays coming in, Brendan, on those like, you know, squibber ground balls like that are really tough plays. Mm-hmm. And he makes them, makes good, solid throws to first base. And we saw it in the first half last year, right? Like obviously he was nuts for that first like month or so that he came up. Like that was insane. But I, get, I guess what I'm getting at, Brendan, is like you don't have to believe in him as an everyday player, like someone who's just going to be a great third baseman starting every day for this team for the next four years or something like that. But like, just like he was in 2021 at the beginning of the year, he's a really valuable profile and player on a good team, which is not what he's playing on right now, as we discussed earlier. But if you can see that he can do this for a full season, and at that point it would be like a season and a half, like 
he is definitely somebody you you want to figure yeah. out and keep around as you get into building better teams. Yeah. His, so his contact rate over the past eight games, 10 games now, it's normalized his overall rate to about 65%. And so last season, he was around 60%. So even that 5% difference has made a difference in his overall run value. It's still early. It's still a relatively small sample, so you don't want to overinterpret too much. But the early results are encouraging, especially the last week and a half, two weeks here. He has made a change. The change he's made is his batting stance is a little bit more open. The point at which he made that change is kind of hard to tell because you get various camera angles in different ballparks. But just going through baseball savant, the first time I saw that was uh, the last week of April. So maybe within the last like seven games or so, maybe even sooner than that, he's he's made this change. So with Patrick, it's great. He's going through these different types of experiments, these different types of changes, and he knows what he needs to do to get better. And that's a good contrast to the players like Frank Schwindel, where he had this success in late September of last year, and now he's searching, okay, what do I need to change? Whereas Patrick is already at that point. He's already going through those potential changes. And with Frank, he may not get that chance, unfortunately. Um, it's kind of a timing situation. But that that's where it's at. And to your point, if this does continue, yeah, Patrick's defense at third base, the ability to go to first base and go to the outfield is insanely valuable. So if he's someone who gets 300 to 400 plate appearances on a future Cubs team with, you know, uh, Peter Crow Armstrong or James Triantos or Christian Hernandez, like that, that's awesome. That's really, really valuable. And that's kind of where the game is heading with some of these right. bench guys who do get more playing time than what we've seen in like the 2000s and 2010s. So it's, yeah, it's, it's fun to see. Yeah, and uh, just because you mentioned him, um, I, we we've talked, uh, we've hyped up a lot of pro- prospects on this uh, podcast. Uh, so I think most of them are on your radar. And uh, you know, Brian Smith was on with Cody and Luke and Ryan. I think last week or two weeks ago. So you, sh- you, you, I think a lot of these guys should be on your radar. But if Pete Crow Armstrong is not on your radar, you're gonna want to um, rectify that yeah. really quickly. Yeah, because he uh, he's. He's hitting home runs seemingly every night now, um, and he is an exceptional athlete. Um, Great defender, too. Yeah, he came over, of course, from the Mets in the Javi Baez trade, and at some point we can relitigate all of those, but at least at the moment with the way that, uh, I guess we just call him PCA, right? It's an easy nickname. Um, Easy nickname, it looks terrible on the back of the jersey. Those pictures where it, you know, sort of horseshoes mm-hmm. around the number I, I don't know what the solution is but it just doesn't look I kind of like it the it's just unique do yeah, you it stands out I like it keep it uh interesting I mean do you want me to put PCA on the back instead just three letters yeah right. are you kidding Actually, that's kind of cool maybe he should do that. <laughs> that's like the players weekend yeah right. that is what they should do right. Absolutely. or just like Pete you know um but again like we'll we'll we can always relitigate those trades. Like Alexander Canario keeps hitting bombs as well, who came over in the KB trade. Um, but especially with, you know, the Mets didn't make the playoffs and PCA looks really incredible. I think he's going to vault up those um, prospect rankings and stuff. That that one at the very least seems like it's going to be a pretty likely and easy W yeah. for Jed on that one. 
Yeah, and you can uh, plug in uh, Greg Haas and, and Jimmy. Listen to the Growing Cups podcast. They they do good work there, and they're talking about the changes, peacemaking, and some of the other guys, some of the struggles of other top prospects as well. So always a good podcast to listen to if you want to hear more about the Cubs' top prospects. Okay, so to preview this upcoming series against the Los Angeles Dodgers, Dodgers off to a fast start. They're 15-7. and seven. Cubs are now 9-15. and 15. They have a... Uh, unfortunate uh, set here starting on Friday at 1.20 p.m. We have Tyler Anderson pitching for the Dodgers. The Cubs have not set their weekend rotation yet, at least for uh, f- uh, for Friday. Anderson on the year for the Dodgers is 2-0 with a 2.55 year rate. I actually liked Anderson as a free agent for the Cubs, but I think he just outpriced the Cubs, and the Dodgers uh, were willing to take that risk. On uh, Saturday, the Cubs do have Steele out there he's one and three a 5.5 ERA Clayton Kershaw off to a good start he on the year is three no with a 2.35 ERA that game starts at 1:20 p.m Sunday unfortunately for you and I Corey Sunday night baseball so that game starts at 608 the Stro show will be taking place so at least that will be fun on my end to watch on TV uh Stroman one and three 5.13 ERA had a great start against Milwaukee's last time out though and then we'll be facing Walker Bueller for the Dodgers, 3-1, a 2.12 ERA, a perennial uh, Cy Young candidate at this point. Um, yeah, this is going to – this could suck. Good luck. This could this, – uh, Good luck, guys. Oh, <laughs> man. Ugh. I'm just already like – my mind is already spiraling to like late Sunday night recording this, uh, this podcast. Yeah. So just like mentally prep yourself for that, Corey, because I'm already starting to do that. Yeah, I mean – Best of luck to the to Cubs me or to the Cubs weekend to okay. all of us, okay. Brendan. I mean, to you, me, everybody yeah. listening, the Cubs. It, it you know, I mean, there there's not really a good time to play the Dodgers when you're in this position as the Cubs. But the, the you know the Cubs aren't playing well. Their offense looks bad. Um, they're filling in some of these starts still and trying to figure all that out. It's just, it's, it's not, it's not a good time to, uh, especially with those pitching matchups too. You're going to get Bueller, you're going to get Kershaw, not a good time to welcome Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman to Wrigley Field. The the other thing that I will never understand, somebody could explain this to me like I was five years old and I will not understand it. But like, especially when you saw what we did on Tuesday against the Sox, Brendan, why are the Dodgers traveling to Chicago in the beginning of May? Why are the Cubs not traveling to Los Angeles? I don't know. I mean, baseball is a stupid. Somebody sport. make sense of that to you me. You want to make because sense the Cubs of Major League will... Baseball, Corey? I mean, with all the stuff that's going on, come on. Right. I guess I shouldn't. Yeah. They Major League Baseball can't even figure out the one thing in their name, no. which is the baseball. Yeah. Right. But, like, they'll go to Dodger Stadium in, what, July or August, probably? I just It doesn't make any sense to me that they do this. And I think the weather's supposed to be terrible on Friday. And it's like, yeah, duh. Why would you send a team from Los Angeles here in the beginning of May? I will never understand it, but not important. Uh, if they did, you know, if the city of Chicago did want to just rain out all of these games, it really, I think, would probably be to everybody's benefit. But it's it's the same thing, guys. Like, at this point, like, you, you don't have to be writing off the, the season. It, it is still early. However you want to deal with that, that's up to you. 
Um, but in this series, it's it's the same thing. Like individual performances, seeing some of these guys make adjustments, progress, come out of their funks or continue their hot streaks, and uh, you know see what the Cubs can do on this pitching front. You know, obviously they've got to piece together some of these starts. So continuing to see what uh, Ross does there and and how effective some of these guys can be. Yep, that's what I got. I mean, um, we'll talk about Steele next episode, I think. I'm, I'm hoping, I guess right now, I'm hoping Steele just gets that command under control. I mean, ideally, you want to see him start to use different pitch types instead of just relying on, you know, four steam and a slider. But he hasn't gotten those two pitches dialed in at all. So I think that's what you have to look for, just as like a few baby steps that those two pitches are dialed in. And once that happens, then you start seeing him use, let's say, a change-up maybe a little bit more often or maybe go to a sinker in certain situations as he did in 2021. But for me, the main focus of the series is just how to steal look, and maybe we uh, keep seeing Rivas in that leadoff spot. Yep, I think that about sums things up. Uh, So that is what we have for you. Brendan and I will be back on Sunday to break it all down, what I'm sure will be a wonderful and fascinating series of baseball as the Cubs welcome the Dodgers into town. Don't forget to tune in uh, to uh, Luke and Cody. They'll have you for pregame and postgame on Friday to kick this series off. And uh, otherwise, that's what we have for you. So thank you for supporting CHGO and the CHGO Cubs podcast. We will talk to you soon, and as always, go Cubs!